1: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Pennsburg Podcast. I am your host, Garrett Behanna. Joined alongside me, as always, is Hooks Orpik himself, Jim Rixner. Jim, it has been quite a while since we have talked to one another about the Pittsburgh Penguins. How are you doing? I am doing great. Glad to be back and glad we actually have something to talk about now. That we do. Jim, it seems like uh, after a bunch of back and forth, will they or won't they, uh, it seems that the NHL and the NHLPA have finally agreed to commence a 2021, I guess you could call it 2020-2021, I keep calling it the 2021 NHL season, and uh, Jim, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't look like we have a, a long while to wait. As a matter of fact, uh, training camp for the Pittsburgh Penguins will begin, I believe, January 3rd is the date that the Pittsburgh Penguins and several other NHL teams who participated in the return to play back in August, all of those teams will be participating in training camps, January 3rd and January 13th. Mark your calendars, Penguins fans, the 2020 2021 regular season will begin. And uh, Jim, uh, we have a a press release with a bunch of dates here in front of us. Uh, We can Go off uh, a couple of these uh, more important dates, but uh, Jim, I, I think I guess the, the gist of it here is that the NHL will implement a 56 game regular season starting on January 13th, concluding the regular season concludes on May 8th. Uh, the Stanley Cup playoffs begin on give or take May, ele- uh, May 11th. Yeah, and-, and that that right there, like
2: just the quickness of how this is going to go with a lot of the players are already skating on their own Training camp starts on January 3rd, like you said, which is less than two weeks. And then 10 days after that, the regular season starts. So it's going to be boom, boom before you know it. There's no exhibition games. There's no preseason games. There's a limited training camp roster. There's not going to be all the prospects that there usually are. There's not going to be just like the slow build that usually is in September as they all gear up. They're basically going to have to hit the ground running because January 13th is not that far away. It's only a couple weeks until... From today, is actually about two weeks until the regular season will start. So that that kind of stands out to me, just how quickly this thing's going to get going.
1: And Jim, to your point, I think this opens up quite a few different cans of worms, uh, some good and some bad. But the, the the short end of the story is, the NHL I think wanted to have a regular, or wanted to have a season, a 2020-2021 season, and they had to do it before the. Summer Olympics begin in what mid to late July uh, after the Olympics got pushed back from 2020 to 2021. I know NBC is the primary carrier of the Olympic Games here in the United States. And with the Olympic Games coinciding with an NHL schedule, with the NHL being Uh, And NBC being uh, broadcast partners, that was one of my first thoughts was, well, they're going to squeeze a regular season into this uh, four to five month time frame between January and let's say the the beginning of July, which is the July 9th is the last possible day for the Stanley Cup final. And uh, it, it had to happen because of the interference that would be coming with the Olympics. That that was my first thought, at least I'm sure that the NHL, all of the higher ups between the NHL and NBC wanted to figure out a plan that wouldn't interfere with the Olympics. Uh, Lo and behold, they create this, this, this 56 game regular season and playoffs and all of that in between. But Jim, yeah, like you said, players are going to hit the ground running with really little to no time to get into Um, What I guess you and I would consider real proper game shape, Uh, it'll be a testament to a lot of these athletes conditioning to see, you know, how they're going to fare in mid to late January as things eventually start to ramp up. Hopefully by, um, you know, the first two or three, maybe four weeks in, shake whatever rust you have off, hopefully the on ice product won't be incredibly bogged down by the the players having to, you know, get their feet under them as, you know, they're starting to adjust to game speed again. But um, Jim, do you have any thoughts on, uh, well, I guess you could share any kind of thought you want. I mean, this is uncharted territory for the NHL. This is uncharted territory for us. Um, Do you have anything else you wanted to add, anything that caught your eye uh, out of all of this news that the NHL just recently dumped on us? It's a lot of
2: information to get a hold of, and you're absolutely right that NBC and the Olympics was driving a lot of this. And the other big factor to consider as well is that Seattle is coming in next season as well. So the NHL, just even if there wasn't the Olympic stop date for them, they really wanted this 2020-2021 season to wrap up so that next year, next October in 2021, we kind of get back to normal. Hopefully, let's all hope and pray. So for that season to have a somewhat normal off season, it'll be condensed a little this year. But that's also a good side effect by wrapping up this season in July means it can be a somewhat normal stretch for the off season. And then when Seattle comes in next season for twenty twenty one, then it's kind of business as usual, what we're all used to. But yeah, like you said, it's fifty-six games, it's gonna be a lot going on. I heard Bruce Boudreaux talking on satellite radio yesterday, and his thought was that since there is no preseason games, there are no, you know, long time to ramp up, he really thinks that the first 10 or so games are going to be very high scoring. And that teams, as they kind of get their feet under them, it will have an advantage for the offenses around the league. So that'll be very interesting, too, especially like how teams are going to use their goalies with 56 games. Boudreaux, like you would think that maybe that would mean more for the backups. But these teams are going to be so worried about winning games since there's only 56 games in a season. You can't really afford to play your backup that much. So. I think the starting goalies, especially teams that have clear number one starting goalies, like the Penguins do now with Tristan Jerry, they're going to have to ride their number one goalies in a short year because you can't afford to fall behind the eight ball and lose games to your division rivals, Like as I'm sure we'll get into, because they're only going to play seven different teams this year the whole regular season.
1: That's a very interesting point, Jim, and one that I really didn't take a whole lot of thought into. The, the, to, I guess on, on the opposite end of that spectrum, the only thing that I, I can connect to that, I was thinking as I was reading through this information, was that it's it's it seems like it's an unfortunate foregone conclusion that the Penguins, and I'm sure various other uh, teams in the league, are eventually going to run into, whether it be on ice injury or or whether these players come into contact with someone they know that may be exposed to COVID. uh, And that in turn will open up uh, a a whole can of worms. I I keep using that expression. I sound like a broken record, but the the injuries that players may be sustaining in this condensed schedule, uh, not even taking into consideration, like I said, if they are exposed to somebody who has COVID, what those ramifications are for those players, how long uh, could players be out if they're on some sort of covid list or if they suffer some sort of injury with without the proper conditioning that they would have had in a regular uh, a regular offseason with a regular training camp and preseason and the point that i'm trying to get at here is So for people who may not know, what are the Penguins' options? What are other NHL teams' options as it relates to uh, what looks to be uh, a a season that could be derailed very easily if you're not careful by injury?
2: True, and to combat that very point you're talking about, this year there's going to be something unique called a taxi squad, especially since the American Hockey League isn't scheduled to start until early February, And we'll have to see how that goes for them. But now, usually in the regular season, it's a 23-player limit of the roster. And then, you know, if you need players, you call them up from the American League. This year, since there is no American League, there's going to be a 4-6 to player taxi squad, which I assume all teams are just going to use 6. None of those players will count against the NHL salary cap, and they will make a minor league salary if they're on a two-way contract. But they will practice with the team. They'll kind of be like playoff black aces. They'll be with the team. They'll travel with the team. But they won't be able to play unless they're officially formally called up and join the 23-player limit. And to your point, it's COVID we've seen with college football, especially, and a little bit with the NFL. When players test positive, they have to be isolated, quarantined. So many days go by with negative tests before they're able to go. And you know, if you're a college football player or an NFL player and you're out ten days or fourteen games, fourteen days, excuse me, that's only one or two games. But especially for hockey and in this season where they're playing 56 games in just over a hundred or so days or whatever it is, that's a lot more. So any positive tests could be really just change the landscape of the league and Like you were saying, this is kind of – this is just unprecedented territory for everyone that I don't think really the league even knows just how to expect or what's going to happen when these tests go. They've announced that players who do test positive will be announced as testing positive once the regular season starts. So we'll know. It's not like they'll be able to shroud or stand behind any medical designations, but just exactly, I think, how they're going to handle – these things is still up in the air and that's going to be something that I think we're all just going to have to wait and see, just like we've had to wait and see so much stuff over this whole calendar year. Really?
1: Yeah. There, there were bumps in the road. You know, there were people originally who, who doubted major league baseball. Uh, there were bumps in the road throughout their regular season. They end up finishing that regular season and crowning a champion. Uh, you know, the NBA, the NFL is finding, trying to find its feet and they're experiencing bumps in the road, but it looks like they're going to finish out their regular season and, and eventually crown a champion in February. Um, so yeah, Jim, like you were saying, uh, I think, you know, the NHL might not know what to expect, uh, there are almost certainly going to be bumps in the road along the way as they try to navigate this this uncharted water, trying to play a regular season, as we hope this pandemic starts to slow down with the vaccines uh, being able to be rolled out, hopefully by uh, the middle to end of 2021, and hopefully we get some sort of resemblance of normal life pre-COVID. Um, but uh, Jim, I wanted to move on a little bit and talk about how this could relate to the Penguins and what the Penguins are doing uh, and who the Penguins may be playing as you uh, quietly alluded to earlier on in the discussion for the 2020, 2021 season uh, teams will be realigned into four divisions. Geographically, these teams are aligned uh, in the North division. I guess you could say is the uh, all Canadian division with Calgary, Edmonton, Montreal, Ottawa, Toronto, Vancouver, and Winnipeg. In the West, you have your traditional West teams Anaheim, Arizona, Colorado, Los Angeles, Minnesota, St. Louis, San Jose, and the Vegas Golden Knights. In your Central Division, You'll have what is typically a division rival of the Penguins. You'll have the Carolina Hurricanes, the Chicago Blackhawks, uh, another traditional rival, the Columbus Blue Jackets, the Dallas Stars, Detroit Red Wings, Florida Panthers, the Nashville Predators, and the Tampa Bay Lightning. And the division that the Pittsburgh Penguins will be in will be called the East Division, and it will feature the Bruins, the Buffalo Sabres the New Jersey Devils, the New York Islanders, the New York Rangers, the Philadelphia Flyers, the Pittsburgh Penguins, and the Washington Capitals. So as it relates to the Penguins here, Jim, uh, the Penguins will be seeing a lot of familiar faces that they would typically see in a traditional regular season with all of the New York teams, Philadelphia, Washington, uh, with a couple of exceptions, like I mentioned, in Carolina and Columbus. Um, So this, this geographical division alignment that the NHL has instituted for this season. Uh, Each team in the East, Central and West divisions will play every other team in its division eight times. So if you're a Penguins fan, get comfortable with watching Boston, Buffalo, New Jersey, all of the New York teams, Philadelphia and Washington, because there's not going to be any, uh, any different combination other than those teams in your specific division, it looks like. So, while you may get tired of the repetitive nature of playing Boston, Buffalo, and all the New York teams, and every other team that I mentioned, while it may get tiring at a certain point, uh, I guess this is one of the things that, uh, if if you're a team in the league, if you're a player in the league, and you want to get this season done and over with, you know, this is one of the things that you're going to have to get used to uh, playing all of these teams in a little pocket of the United States or a little pocket designated pocket of North America, but Jim looking at these teams in this Eastern division, or if you want to touch on any of the other teams in any of the other divisions, uh, there's going to be some, some on ice challenges for the Penguins, uh, playing teams like Boston, uh, Washington, Philadelphia, you you know, the, a lot of these teams in the Penguins Eastern division are no slouches and, uh, the Penguins may have their hands full when it comes to actually playing the game of hockey and, and, and trying to forge ahead into a playoff spot. Definitely, because as as you were saying, it's it's an eight-team division.
2: There's no wild card to make the playoffs. So only the top four teams in each division are going to make the playoffs. So that means you got the Capitals, you got the Boston Bruins, who won the President's Trophy last year as the best regular season team. You got Philly, who's on the upswing. You have the Rangers who are rebuilding quickly and added the number one pick. The Islanders are always tough and the Penguins have to beat some of those teams out at the end of the season. Buffalo has Eric Stahl and Taylor Hall. Now they're a lot better, even though they have a lot of ground to make up and some other questions around the ice. So it's going to be tough. Um, We know New Jersey Devils, even though they're not a very good team, always play really well against the Penguins. So that's another factor to consider. It's, it's going to be a challenge you know, this year, and then with the playoffs, like I mentioned, it's one against four, two against three, so even the first two rounds of the playoffs, uh, Pittsburgh won't see any other teams as they advance but those other seven, and as you said, they get them each team eight times, which is really going to be something, you know, it's, it's going to be crazy not seeing anyone else except these teams and The schedule is supposed to come out pretty soon here, so we'll see exactly how it goes. And to cut down on travel costs and travel time, it's not going to be unusual to play two games in the same city. So the Penguins might fly to Buffalo, play two games, then fly to New York and play two games against the same teams over and over. So that's going to be a really repetitive element, I feel like, and it's almost going to make it seem like the playoffs start early because everyone knows it's a short year. That means the regular season games mean more. You're only playing each other, so it's going to be rivals anyways that don't like each other playing each other a lot, and that can lead to some some intense hockey, and that's what I think we're going to see a lot of as you see these teams play each other over and over again, and they know there's a lot at stake. So the stakes are really high for this, this year, the way it's set up.
1: Uh, with the stakes being so high, it looks like the NHL quietly – implemented a bit of a new rule change and a rule change that I think many fans including you and myself are are very much uh, in favor of and that has to do with rule number 83 the offsides rule and uh Jim if if you'll let me I'll talk a little bit and and read this this offsides rule here uh, let me pull it up the rule number 83 states that a player will be considered on or offside based on the plane of the blue line which shall not extend from the leading edge of the blue line upwards this means that a player's position in space and no longer the point of contact with the ice will be considered when making and examining offsides reviews so jim um looking at this in in layman's terms for people who may not understand this it looks like they're going to be examining the uh, the offsides rule from some sort of a vertical plane now that they weren't doing beforehand. And uh, if there's another part of the offsides rule I'm missing, uh, please feel free to jump in and correct me. But the, the the gist of it, from what I understand, is that they're going to be judging whether a player's on or offsides based on this, this vertical plane. And uh, to put it lightly, that's going to be interesting to see how the referees on the ice and the situation room in Toronto will try and figure out, do they have the technology to to figure out, to, to view this vertical plane, uh, whether it be a, some sort of a graphic or some sort of on-ice technology, whether it's, I don't know, some sort of technology you put in the paint when you're painting on the, the blue line on the ice. I don't know. Whether, maybe it's a uh, some sort of camera or something you put along the boards. I don't know what kind of technology or how they're properly going to implement this vertical plane in this new offsides rule. But uh, overall, I think this offsides rule is going to have probably some more positive than it would negative effects to how the game is played. I think one of the big things uh, is that it's going to probably cut down on review time when you're asking to review whether a play is offsides or not. Right and the
2: easy way I don't I don't know if there's any technology implemented right now I don't think so but there was a famous goal in 2016 that Jonathan Duran scored for the Tampa Bay Lightning in game 6 which gave the Lightning a one nothing lead in a series they were winning 3 games to 2 so if that goal stood Tampa might have eliminated the Penguins that night but the Penguins challenged the goal because for offsides and The old rule was antiquated and needed to be changed because the vertical plane stuff just meant that the old rule was you had to have your foot or skate on the ice touching the ground, touching the surface to be considered onside. And even though Duran was onside technically, his skate was off the ice because when you're moving your legs and you're skating fast like you have to in the NHL, you're picking your feet up a lot. So his body was onside, his foot was up, and due to that technicality, I think a lot of people remember, that goal got overturned because that's the way the rule was, even though it's probably not a great rule. And the Penguins went on to take a 3-0 lead in that game. It It was a major turning point in the course of the game, and it ended up being, in the course of the series, a very important call. So that, if that happened today that would have been a good goal for Julian, and Tampa would have gone up one nothing. So when you hear that rule, that's pretty much just what it means is they're making the game a little, it's a common sense rule. It it makes it more make sense. So I don't really have a problem with that, but it'll be interesting moving forward to see if that creates more offense because you can't take goals like that away anymore.
1: Yeah. So, we kind of poke fun at the NHL and its rule book and the on-ice officials and all of the things that come with reviewing goals and and things of that nature. But uh, I think once the league finds its finds its footing with this newly implemented rule, uh, I think things will slowly start to, uh, like you said, turn in t- turn into a. a It'll be a good thing to come of changing this rule, a common sense rule, like you said. Uh, but, Jim, I, I think we've touched on just about everything I wanted to. And, Jim, you, you, uh, con- you recently conducted an interview with Justin Bourne, who is the host of Hockey Central on Sportsnet 590, The Fan. And uh, if you have nothing else left to add, we can get into your interview with Mr. Justin Bourne if you're all set.
2: I am all set. I just wanted to point out I didn't do it in the interview. Uh, follow Justin if you're not already. It's JT Bourne, B O U R N E, on Twitter. He's a great guy. I'm sure a lot of people know him. He's written all over the internet for places like The Athletic, The Score, Yahoo! He's been everywhere. Now he's with Sportsnet, which is a big deal in Canada, and he was nice stuff to, to take some time with us on the holidays, and thank you everyone for joining us here, listening probably on the holidays. Hope, hope you're having a good Christmas and all that stuff. Um, and Justin, the cool thing about Justin is he left writing to go work as a video review coach for the Toronto Marlies, the AHL team of the Toronto Maple Leafs, and He got there in 2015, which was the same year that Kasperi Kapanen got traded from Pittsburgh to Toronto in the Phil Kessel deal, and also um, I asked about Cody Ceci, so we have to touch on that since he was a Toronto guy too, and there's a little bit of surprise there too, and we'll save it for the interview, but – Maybe some surprising things afoot for Cody Cece as well this year with the Penguins.
1: All right. Well, Jim, uh, enough of the formalities. Here is Sportsnet's Justin Bourne. We hope you enjoy. Our guest today on the
2: Pennsburg Podcast has been all over the hockey world. He's the son of an Islanders four-time Stanley Cup champion, played NCAA at the University of Asco Anchorage, then moved on to play in the ECHL and AHL. And... Most of our audience probably knows him from writing all over the internet. And currently, you can see him on Sportsnet, hear him on Hockey Central on 590 The Stand in Toronto. So we're happy to have Justin Bourne join us. Justin, how's it going, man?
0: I'm great. I'm great. Thanks for having me. Thank you for the wonderful intro. It sounds like I do a lot of things.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, your resume is very unique. And the one part that I didn't touch on on purpose is that from 2015 to 2017, you worked with the Toronto Maple Leafs organization with the Toronto Marlies. And that's really interesting because for Pittsburgh fans at least, we kind of have a black hole with Cassidy Kapanen from 2015 when he got traded from Pittsburgh to Toronto in the Phil Kessel deal until really 2018 when he was full-time in the NHL. And you were there with Kapanen, with the AHL Marlies. So how was that like? What was your first impressions of him just as a young guy coming in in his first pro year? Yeah, well, that's a
0: a really interesting question because he was probably the most interesting personality and player, you know, that I was around in my two years with the organization. And I say that because he was, you know, he had the most asked of him, I would say, of, of any of the young players. So, you know, anyone who knows Captain knows he has been a great player and been a star and, you know, scored the gold medal winning overtime goal like he's he's an offensive first guy and and everyone knows how talented he is but when he got to the Toronto Maple Leafs organization it was a bit of a a rude awakening because it was like all right Cappy, you play right wing here are the right wingers in the depth chart and it's like you know William Nylander Mitch Marner you know it's like there's no path for you to be a right winger in the top six in this team so if you would like to make the NHL We would like you to play a different way. We would like you to kill penalties. We would like you to try to play on your off wing and try to change the way you play to be a more well-rounded player. And for him, as a young kid who's never been asked to do those things, it was a challenge at first, right? I think fairly understandably so for him to accept that that was the new reality, that he couldn't play the way he's always played and make the NHL. But it was a a real evolution, I would say, um, you know, just to give it a sort of surface level bow on it, watching him from the first day I was there to what he has become now and how he's accepted that, rounded out his game while maintaining a
2: lot of his offensive abilities. Right, because even his first season in Toronto, I believe he had just turned 19 years old. And I think that kind of gets overlooked, too, with a lot of these players is just how young they were. Yeah. he played in Finland the year be- er, before, but that was his first taste of the small ranks, the real pro-American, North American style, if you want to call it that. So um, just that overall transformation, do you think that was a struggle for him or something he was talented enough to kind of pick up on or just naturally going to take time for a young player to acclimate to his new role and his new team and just North America in general?
0: You know, I think when you make the point you made about like the age thing, people say, Oh yeah, we were all immature, but they kind of forget, you know, what it was really like to be that age. I think back to myself and how naive I was to some things and it's it can be really hard. And so for him, it wasn't a struggle to do it physically. It's the accepting of changing the way that he was going to have to play that was hard. And so... I think at times in my first season with the organization he seemed somber or turned off or, you know, just not as engaged with it. this it wasn't exciting to come somewhere new and be told, hey, right. what you do isn't isn't good enough. So we what happened was we got to like playoffs that first year and really had Calder Cup aspirations with the Marlies. and players came down from the NHL team, uh, which loaded us up even further and so there was talk in the coach's office that first year when he was a rookie with us Will, you know, we want a healthy scratch him to dress what we think is the optimal r- lineup, but do we lose him if we do that? You know, that was the big risk is emotionally, uh, is he going to separate from the group if and completely shut down? End of the day, they decided to do it. He got healthy scratch for the first game of playoffs after being a big part of the team all year. And he was the first guy at the rink the next day. He was in the gym. He was like a hundred percent turned on and he could have taken it wrong. And he leaned into like getting better, being a part of it, being, you know, getting more opportunity. And that to me was a really exciting sign for us. Uh, I don't think he missed another game that postseason run. He was in the next night and stayed in the rest of the way. Um, and I think that's reflective of how changes have gone for him, where he pushes back against certain things. And eventually when it becomes like, okay, well, if you don't do it, you know, you, we're going to, take X away from you, he accepts it, moves on, and leans into it. And now he's an older guy. He's a more mature player. He's got experience under his belt. I think those days are long past him. He's super talented. The guys like him. He's, you know, he's he's a player. I, you guys really let him let him go to really find his stride and develop, you know, grow his wings a little bit. I think you're getting a very good hockey player in very Cap.
2: That's really interesting. And to your point, I just looked it up. The Marlies played 15 playoff games in 2016, and Kapanen played 14. So, yeah, Yeah. he was right back in for the rest of the run. That's that's awesome. That really seems like a big turning point. You know, he's a first-round pick less than two years earlier, healthy scratch for the first game of the playoffs. Like, it seems like that could be a reason to disconnect. Do you think, and especially since your family background with your father playing in the NHL, and you grew up around the NHL and all that, and so did Kapanen with his father, Sammy Kapanen, Kapanen obviously playing for the Hurricanes and Fires and all those other teams. Do you think his background as kind of the son of an NHL player, a second-generation pro hockey player, would have helped him in that situation? You know, probably the opposite, where he would maybe be more
0: inclined to feel like, it's normal to play in the NHL. It's part of the the process. It's uh, expected. It's going to be not handed to him, but you know, he just, it, I'm sure for his whole life from when he was, I don't know, 13 on, he just kind of thought that he would just make the next step, make the next step, make the next step, and then be in the NHL. La-di-da, no big deal. Um, And I think that he came up against more obstacles with us where it became uncertain that he was going to play in the NHL. And by the way, once someone's in the NHL, it's impossible to believe that it was never going to happen. But, you know, there are a lot of players at that level who looked like they were on Kapanen's level at that point, you know, in terms of ability. It doesn't happen for everyone. You're not guaranteed to get that next step. So I think there was moments of concern for him in the American League where he became unsure it was going to happen, uh, but was mature enough to figure it out, except, uh, you know, sort of different... Different opportunities that were provided uh, to him and then found a way to thrive within those.
2: That's really interesting. And yeah, I think that's the thing like, progress isn't just the slow, steady, straight line. There's stops and starts and adversity you have yeah. to deal with along the way. So yeah, that, that's a really yeah. interesting perspective on your part. Yeah, it's, it's just something, you know, I, I
0: think you become so familiar being around the NHL. You know, like I grew up in NHL locker rooms and uh, it's a sense of normalcy, and then you talk to other people. They're like, "Yeah, you were in the in the locker room with Gretzky," and I was like, "Yeah, I don't know." <laughs> you know I just, <laughs> yeah, pretty I wild. Now it was, yeah, I realize now it was a big deal, but at the time, as a kid, I, it didn't seem like yeah. anything out of the
2: ordinary. I hear that. And just to skip ahead, I I think that kind of ties in because Kapanen goes on. He plays in the the AHL for a couple years, makes it to the Toronto Maple Leafs, plays a lot with Austin Matthews in 2018, 19 scores 20 goals, scores 44 points, but kind of like you mentioned earlier when we were talking, Toronto's an organization that has William Nylander. They have Mitch Marner. So that kind of shuffled Kapanen down, it looked like, last year where he wasn't playing with Austin Matthews, and his stats suffered. So do you think with that early career AHL struggles that he went through and the growing pains he had, do you think he, he can apply those lessons maybe till now where his second year in the NHL last year didn't go as well as the first. Yeah, definitely.
0: I actually, I'm curious myself to see how he responds to it. You know, my perspective right now on his game is, you know, everyone has something of a ceiling. And for me, it's like with Cappy, he doesn't seem to get better necessarily when he's with better players. And, and that's, not to say that he doesn't put up better numbers because you're with better players and you're in the offensive zone more and you're going to get more points. So that's just you know obvious. But he creates a lot on his own. He creates a lot with his speed. He creates a lot by driving the D back and causing chaos. That way. it's uh, you know you don't see as much him you know forming you know heavy chemistry with a certain player where they need each other or play off each other you know, that's the next step for his game to me. And maybe he'll find it with a lot of the, you know, exceptional talents in, in Pittsburgh on the forward side in particular is, you know, maybe finding a way to incorporate other people into his game to find himself more space and to, and to find other options out of, outside of just go, 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 try to beat a guy wide, turn up once you get inside the blue line. Um, Cause right now it's, I feel like he's at a feeling where he's going to score 20 goals next season. Uh, you know, or 15 with a shortened season, whatever it is, but he's going to get that number within a few, whether he's on the third line, fourth line, first line, doesn't feel like it matters all that much.
2: Yeah, that's that's the next area I kind of wanted to move into. Um, I know on your radio show, you guys had Jim Rutherford on earlier in the summer, and he said a lot. And I don't know if he said it there, but he's mentioned that in his mind, it's going to be Jake Yensel, Sidney Crosby, and Kapanen at least to start <laughs> the season. And that kind of took <laughs> me by surprise because. Like you said, with his Kapanen's game, speed, shoot up the ice, I would have thought, you know, just just in basics that that would have fit Evgeny Malkin's style a lot more north hockey and not so much grinding. And I heard you laughing. So what do you make about Kapanen's prospects to start the year with Gensel and Crosby, especially like, like you just said, coming off saying, you know, first line, third line, it doesn't really matter. He's going to just play his own game. Yeah, well, that's the dumbest
0: line I've ever heard because it's in, in a good way. Like, how do you deal with that? Just say, why I like that line, if I'm Kapanen, I love that line, but why I like it so much is those are players, uh, Crosby and Gensel, who can work uh, in the extra ice that Kapanen creates. Like, he drives the right. back and forces bad gaps. And who's better, you know, in those spaces than guys like Gensel and Crosby? And, you know, Crosby's a guy who gets pucks back, uh cappy's pretty good at that you know he i think that's another step he can even be better and i think he probably will be now that he's that's his third year in the nhl or whatever he's going into here but you know it it just it's such a a a mishmash of talent styles to me that i think it would be really hard to know how to defend that group because there's always one guy behind you through you um i would love it but you know again cappy's not a guy that You know, Gensel's like I love playing with Kapanen because of Tic Tac Toe. He would love playing with Kapanen because other D other players would have to deal with him, and that would find him a little bit more space.
2: Awesome, yeah, that's that's a good way to look at it. And the Penguins obviously they give up the fifteenth overall pick to get Kapanen, and also a pretty good prospect that they liked in Philip Hallander, the Swedish forward. So yeah, they're gonna put a lot on his plate, I think, to try not to necessarily justify the trade, but. Mm -hmm. They definitely want Kaplan to succeed and and find what they're looking for because the Penguins right now, we know Sidney Crosby, Evgeny Malkin, Chris Wittang, not getting any younger, and the Pens have already traded their first round pick next year to get Jason Zucker, who just adds more speed, more that. They're very um, top-heavy of a team. It looks like they're built, but what do you think about that top six in general? You talked about the first line that they planned, but follow that Crosby lineup with the uh, Zucker, Malkin, Brian Rust line and that's pretty tough to defend too, I would imagine. Yeah, that's, I
0: mean, you're hanging right there with Colorado and Toronto in terms of the best top sixes in the NHL, I would say just off the top of my head. Uh a quick scan around the league. I guess the Oilers have some pretty good top-end top talent. But yeah, no, that, that's ridiculous. It's a ridiculous top six. And um, again, what what's so great about it is the varied styles and the different way they can play. Like Brian Rust Accumulating points with his style is such a fun compliment to you know a lot of pure offensive talent. So, you know Pittsburgh's challenge, of course, is filling in around those guys. And I think a guy like Capitan is so great because as those players, those great players in Pittsburgh get get older, he provides that speed. You you don't feel like you're playing a team that's suddenly gotten slow if they lose a half a step. You still have to deal with speed that could come at any time. So, uh, it's a great opportunity for Capitan. It's a nice pickup for the Penguins, and obviously they paid a high price, but. Uh, you know, this is Rutherford's thing, right? You go in, you try to win cups when well, you have superstars, and they certainly still have them.
2: Yeah, definitely. And one more in on Kapanen, the Pittsburgh power play really struggled last year looking, um, they didn't replace Phil Kessel, and his stance was missed on that left wing wall of the right shot. Kapanen's a right shot, but he doesn't really seem, I mean, he's obviously not the playmaker of Phil Kessel, but do you think like the Penguins need a fifth guy for that power play with Gensel Mulk and Crosby Latang? It might be Brian Rust, it might be Zucker a little bit. They've tried Jared McCann there. Do you think Kapanen would have anything to offer for the Penguins first line power play with all that other talent? You know, my, my honest
0: gut feeling, you hate to hate to be a hater, is I just I don't
2: see it. Yes. Like I don't
0: I don't think of him as a guy who ever has the puck. He has it in these like bursts. And once he does, he's looking for something, you know, can I take this to the net and get a play? Can I turn up? And I don't know what, you know, that's never been, that's never been developed effectively in his game is the turn up. I think he should drive wide more often and just try to finish that drive. But on the, on the power play, I don't think he provides any element that's special unfortunately like he's a a good player and all that but to me he doesn't fit the type of guy like Phil Kessel is
2: so good because man he had that shot but god could he
0: pass and see the ice and all that and that's those aren't strengths of Kapanen in the same way
2: yep I I think that is the problem is that Kapanen really isn't that natural fit and the Penguins in general just have to figure out I I think their power play right now is struggling from a lack of identity and Kessel was the quarterback he was everything was running through him so uh, new mm-hmm. assistant coach Todd Reardon will have his work cut out for him with that group, but on the town at least. Yeah,
0: well, you know, maybe on the power play breakout you can stretch him and try to back guys off. You know, maybe you can put him in a role like a bumper or net front where he's more of a puck recovery guy, screen the net, uh, you know, do some of the dirtier stuff for the more skilled guys because, uh, yeah, on, on the flank it's not, not a role he's played in
2: Toronto. Yep. Yeah. Okay, and the Penguins also got one more addition from the Toronto Maple Leafs this offseason through free agency, and it was a controversial signing of Cody Ceci. I know you saw him last year. <laughs> this guy has his own reputation and baggage, but looking at his numbers, his Toronto season I don't think was as bad as people might have just assumed, or or you know, coming off his Ottawa years were pretty tough, and they went through a rough time, but... What did you make of Cody last year, and what do you think he could do, especially if the Penguins keep him to, like, a third-pair sheltered role where he's not taking on a lot of minutes? Yeah,
0: you know, he's one of those fascinating cases where, like, coaches seem unable to do the thing you just mentioned, like which is a testament to the way he plays. You know, no one seems to want to just give him 15 minutes and play on the third pair because that's not what he's done and what he's been, so I guess they feel like he's just, like, entitled to more. But it, you're right, it wasn't as bad as people say. You know, he he's effective and efficient in, in a lot of different ways. It's like sometimes there's just like a little pause to the video game, a little like controller disconnect moments. Um, but but for the most part, I, I would be in the minority of someone who thought he was – I think he's kind of all right. Like particularly, you know, he's a big guy who at least do the things the coaches and the system ask of him. He doesn't try to do too much. Uh, And, you know, he's through all the development years and high-pressure situations, a lot of moments. I think you're getting a player who's, you know, poised to probably play, you know, one of the better seasons of his career, given the experience to this point. I don't think he's that bad. I don't know. I feel like I'm going to get killed for saying that, but I I don't don't think he's that bad. (laughs) Yeah,
2: I mean, even on the Internet, our SB Nation blog, Pension Plan Puppets, who run the Leafs ship, they – Seemed to think like, yeah, he he played his way up the lineup, and yeah, he might have got in over his head a little bit, but yeah, his underlying numbers weren't that bad. I think just the Ottawa mess of everything that touches there kind of falls apart that got on him. But yeah, Pittsburgh yeah. loves the reclamation venture projects. Sometimes, like Justin Schultz, it works out, Matt Niskanen, so on and so forth, but. I don't know. They already have Mike Matheson for that, so that—that's certainly I think <laughs> everyone in Pittsburgh is really worried about right now. So maybe, maybe this maybe Cody Cece will be a pleasant surprise in a minor way.
0: Well, if nothing else, those guys you just mentioned, Matheson and Cece, have ceilings like higher ceilings. I think that's the idea when you do get a reclamation project is you know that it's there. Like a lot of these guys, you're like, well, he's not too good, not too bad. Maybe he can plug this hole. There's a chance he could get pretty good play out of both of the guys you just mentioned. There's a chance it might be awful. But, you know, I think that's <laughs> kind of how the Pittsburgh Penguins feel to me. I feel like there's a really high ceiling and that the floor is maybe a little bit lower than it's been in past years.
2: Well, it's the holiday season, and that is very hopeful and wishful. And I think at the end of this year, we're all, we all need that attitude. So... I guess we will (laughs) leave it at that. Thank you so much for your time, Justin. I really enjoyed the conversation and hearing all your knowledge about what we can expect going forward. Yeah,
1: man. Thanks for having me on. Anytime. And uh, again, our thanks to Justin Bourne from Hockey Central on Sportsnet 590 The Fan for taking the time to join Jim and talk about all sorts of fun and interesting topics relating to the Penguins and those connections with uh, Toronto at at one point or another. Uh, Jim, do you have any final thoughts you want to add, whether it be to your interview with Justin or the the craziness that's, that's about to hit all of us as we embark on another crazy hockey season?
2: I had a great time with it. And, I think we're all just excited to get ready to watch the sport come back, and it's going to kick up in a big way, hopefully, so I know we're all ready to get going with it, so that'll be good stuff to look forward to.
1: Yes, it will indeed, Jim. And the Pensburg podcast, for those who are missing your weekly dose of Pensburg uh, action, the Pensburg podcast will be returning to its weekly form as soon as the regular season gets underway. You will probably see the first episode of the new season, I would imagine, that week of January the 13th. If we keep our same release schedule, you will probably see the first episode of the new season January 14th, no later than January 15th, as the Penguins get underway and try and battle for Lord Stanley's Cup in 2021. But for Justin Bourne, Jim Rixner, I have been Garrett Bahanna. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Pennsburg Podcast. And like to Jim said earlier, uh, we appreciate all of you who are listening over the holiday season, whatever holiday it is you are celebrating. We thank you for taking the time out of your day to listen to uh, a little bit of a preview, a little bit of an appetizer for what is going to be a crazy 2021 and a crazy NHL season. But again, for Jim Rixner, I'm Garrett Mahana. Thanks for listening. And we will catch you very soon. Once again, on the Pennsburg podcast.